Hello, we welcome you all to a new episode of the Cosmic Matrix podcast with myself, Bernard Gunther, and my wife, Laura Matsu. The topic of this episode is about the hero's journey and the path of awakening. And the hero's journey is, of course, based on Joseph Campbell's work. So we're going to dive deep into that, go through all the steps, also sharing our own experiences and stories, which uh, you may relate to. And it's important to understand the archetypal process of the path towards awakening, so to speak, especially during this time of transition. Um, I've also done a webinar on this topic, specifically about the hero's journey and the process of embodiment, where I go deeper into connecting those two areas. And you can find out more about that on my website, veilofreality.com. Um, now, before we dive deeper into this topic of this episode, I also want to make a little announcement. Basically, our upcoming 14-week group coaching program, Embodied Soul Awakening, uh, has already filled up. It starts on April 17th. It filled up three weeks before we start for the 11th time in record time. It has filled up. So we're going to do the next one starting in August. Um, and we're going to start the enrollment and application process sometime late May and beginning of June. Um, if you're interested and want to be notified when we have the exact dates and start the application process, you can go to thattimeoftransition.com and there's a button where you can join the waiting list and you will be notified. Okay, let's dive right into it. So again, the hero's journey, as most of you may know, is based on the work of Joseph Campbell, right? And he basically in his work was studying various different spiritual traditions, esoteric traditions, metaphors, parables, all these stories. And what he uh, found, he found various archetypes in all these different stories. And archetypes are recurring patterns of human behavior symbolized by standard types of characters in uh, myths, movies, and stories. And, and as a matter of fact, the hero's journey is a classical script template for any Hollywood movie, so to speak. And in particular, I think it became very famous, the hero's journey with the original Star Wars trilogy, because George Lucas, actually the director and, and writer for Star Wars, uh, worked with um, Joseph Campbell. You know, he basically hired him in order to uh, use the hero's journey's you know template uh, to tell the story of Star Wars, and it's very very obvious if you understand uh, all the different steps of the hero's journey. So it's very insightful. You can see it. Also, in many other movies, and this most often I have to say is a more oversimplified version of the hero's journey. We're going to go way deeper, there are way there are many more steps. Uh, but the reason why a lot of these um, myths or stories or even films then really speak to us because it touches within us an archetype which we all can relate to from a soul level, an essence level, right? So that's why um, the hero's journey is really profound uh, to understand. And if you really uh, can contemplate on the different steps and different cycles in regards, to, in regards to your own life, it gives you a lot of insight, almost like a guidance, like a map, and gives more meaning to your life. All right, before we go into the, the different various steps in more detail, I also want to point out that usually these steps, it's not like a linear approach. It's more like a cycle over cycles, and so various steps can also overlap in different areas in our life. You can see it from the macro, bigger picture perspective that the hero's journey starts literally with soul evolution all the way over many, many lifetimes until full enlightenment. That's a big hero's journey in itself over many lifetimes or within one lifetime, right? Uh, and within this lifetime, many hero's journeys can also 
um, cycle through depending in different areas in life, depending what age you're in. Most often it's also resembled in various astrological um, transits, right? The Saturn return, mm -hmm. the Chiron return, the Uranus opposition. You can see the, uh, the hero's journey, in, you know, mapped out in the stars as well. Um, but again, it's not like a linear approach that you finish one, goes to the other, right? It can overlap very easily and it goes in cycles. So that's very important to understand as a disclaimer, so to speak. Now, also, there are three big parts of the hero's journey, three big, uh, big chapters, and they are departure, initiation, and return. So we first start with the departure and there are various steps within the departure. So, of course, the very first one, it starts in the ordinary world, the consensus world, I would even say, normies and whatnot. And the first step or, you know, the basically setup before we even start on the hero's journey is about living in the status quo of culture, society, and basically agreed upon consensus reality. So the hero, quote unquote, starts to question uh, in this state of consensus state, ordinary world, reality, the world he or she lives in and his or her own life. And that kind of, uh, you know, basically um, produces the foundation for the journey. Yeah, it's really about the journey, part of your journey where you're still asleep, like you don't know what you're doing in life. There tends to be major dissatisfaction that you start to feel. Yeah. Um, you know, you feel really stagnant in the world that you live in, like the friends, the family, the job you have often but you don't actually know what to do next. And often you can feel like you're kind of stuck in this consensus, but you feel you're almost destined for something more. But at that stage, you're usually kind of settling for a type of mediocrity in your life. And I can definitely relate to that um, because after I had this pivotal awakening, quote unquote, experience in 2012, um, I had to rebuild my life. And basically before that, I was working as a music journalist and then I kind of crashed and burned in a really dramatic way. And after 2012, I was recovering from drug addiction and working at a job in hospitality. So I really can see myself in this stage where I had creative gifts and I had creative talents that I knew we're there, but I was really living in this ordinary world and almost trying to actually settle for it. I was like, okay, I got myself out of the worst of it. I'm just going to work a regular job, have a normal life. You know, I actually desired that in a way because everything in my life up until then had been abnormal. But deep inside, I knew that there was something else that I needed to do. Did you also start to question the world and everything around you in the sense around that time? Um, yeah, I think like something is off. I know I quite I started questioning the world way before that. So <laughs> but, I, but I was more like um, I was more like trying to readjust to the consensus and convincing myself that I could just right. be normal. Trying to, trying to fit in. Yeah, because I thought that normalcy meant stability mm -hmm. in my life. I really mm -hmm. thought, oh, if I just do the normal thing that everyone else is doing and I fit in with everyone else is doing, then maybe I can have some stability in my life. Like that was my dream. And then I realized 
that it was literally impossible for me to go back to that way of living because I had already done yeah. kind of so much in my life. So, um, but I did really try and settle for a type of mediocrity, even though I knew I had all these other gifts and talents. I was just like, no, I'm just going to do this, you know? I think that's for the majority of people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it was and it was actually very interesting. Um, and I think that may, some people can relate to this is that I believe per, from my personal experience on the path of individuation that when you don't belong somewhere, you'll get kicked out of it through like through different yeah. experiences. Like for example, I really, I wasn't the best worker to be honest. I was like, had an attitude problem and um, you know, I was good with customers and stuff, but I wasn't, I, I have authority issues when I work under people basically. Yeah. And then I ended up getting fired from one of my first jobs. Um, and it was almost like some sort of uh, way I was subconsciously sabotaging the situation. Yet at the same time, when that happened, I took it almost as a sign. I was like, wow, I can't actually just do this because I'm, it's not the right fit for yeah. me. It's very, it's like, it's like you're like kind of this gl glowing person and this like trying to live this normal life. And that's kind of how I felt. Yeah. So, exactly. So I can relate to that as well. Definitely. Uh, people don't know my story. I, I, you know, didn't really question anything during high school. I was always a in, growing up in journey alone or couldn't fit in, but I didn't question it. I was very insecure, being bullied, all of that. But even questioned that could, that I could do something big or anything. I just went along with the program. Even after high school, enrolled in the University of Munich, studied business economics because everybody else was doing that. Literally just because of that and because, oh, because I need to make money. So you study business and all of this. But I still couldn't relate to the goals similar to you of what others had. You know mm. what I mean? Like the regular goals, I just want to make money, have a family, have a house and all of that. It's just like I just went mechanically with it. Um and then um, until, you know, I was very dissatisfied. I couldn't fit in, definitely. I, that's when I started to question everything, being in the university and like, this doesn't make sense. There must be more to life. And I had this splinter in my mind for a long time, but then it became more, uh, you know, pronounced, so to speak. I also say splinter in the mind because it also reminds me of the Matrix movie, the first one when Neo starts to quote unquote question, you know, what is the Matrix? That's kind of like also him stepping out of the ordinary world. Okay, and then the second step is the the call to adventure, right? Mm -hmm. And the call uh, is basically an event that pulls us into the unknown, away from everything we are familiar with, what we know how to do, our limitations, and also what we are capable of. The quest starts, and it's interesting because the word quest uh, relates root the root word relates to the word question. It's like questioning everything. And it's inspired by by an embodied feeling or intuition and pull to follow follow that mysterious call. So it's a call to adventure, which obviously we see in all many many uh, movies. You know, from Lord of the Rings to you know Star Wars, all of that. You know, the hero embarks onto the adventure uh, into the unknown. He accepts the call. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. So you know, the call to adventure in my case was definitely when I met. Synchronously, a friend who introduced me to drumming, you know, and I remember playing drums and it gave me almost like an enlightening and a spiritual experience. Like, oh my God, this is, I felt so connected, something I truly love doing. I want to do this for the rest of my life. This is what I explore. And then that was the call really it pulled me to the unknown. I quit university in Munich and saved up money, worked in a hardware store in Germany to move to US, you know, a whole different country, a whole different culture to study drums and percussion. 
So that was my call. That was the pull out of the uh, towards the unknown. And like he said here, you know, it also tests our limitations and what we're capable of, right? So it really requires also a will, very important, uh, to follow that call. So the call to adventure is really this triggering point, you know, where you start to become more curious about like, why am I here? You know, what are my lessons? You start to realize that life has a different plan for you than the one you're settling for. Sometimes people change their career, they move, you know, they, they basically need to leave the familiar territory that they've been living in and enter the unknown. Um, and they get a sense of like, you know, wanting to travel or like restlessness or fascination. And actually mine in this part of my journey, by the way, because I've definitely had another earlier hero's journey before 2012, um, is when actually I was working at a different hospitality job. I was doing catering at a castle, <laughs> just a random job, but I loved castles. Um, it was also haunted, by the way. Um, anyway, I was working, doing high-end weddings at a castle, basically. And through synchronistically at that place, I met this guy um, who was actually one of the first friends I really, new friends I really had at that point in my journey. I mean, he was kind of this hippie type guy, was really into going to like Burning Man all the time, like was one of those old school burners, but was the first person who was almost genuinely nice to me without any sort of like ulterior motive. And he told me about ayahuasca, actually. And I had just basically wanted to leave my entire life entirely behind, including any experimentation with drugs because I was on pharmaceuticals. I had a really bad experience. But I remember when I heard that word, it just had this like compelling energy to it that I felt very drawn to. And I was like, okay, like just I noted it in the back of my head that that was just something interesting. Like it just, it just had this, it had this pull towards, it had this pull, oh, like there's something greater here when he started uh, talking about that. Towards the unknown, that. right? Exactly, yeah. exactly, exactly. And also ties that we go short into the fourth step as well, the meeting with the mentor, the supernatural help, because then the teachers appear as well, you know, when the student is ready. Yeah, yeah, but let's not uh, skip too far ahead. Skip that far. Exactly, so let's also... Uh, I also want to mention real quick, because as we go through it, I said there are cycles within cycles. So this was my call to adventure back then in the um, early 90s to drums. But then there's another like cycle going through, and then it was for me body work, and then the work I'm doing now. So, you know, it goes, there are many different cycles. So it's not just one. Uh, but here's a very important the third step. This is very critical to understand, which is most often ignored in uh, people who are aware of the hero's journey, is the refusal of the call. That's a dead end. Yeah. <laughs> so the hero may actually refuse the call due to fear, insecurity, stuck in a tunnel vision of self-pity, self-imposed obligation, you know, self-sabotage, or severe social cultural conditioning, including friends and family discouraging him or her to leave the unknown and familiar. And he gives into that or even being spiritually blind to recognize the call and offering, not even seeing the sign, not even uh, witnessing the call. Yeah, this is basically when people start to resist the call. Um, so they feel almost ready to embark on a new journey, but their ego is too strong. The familiar world and the comfort they live in is like too compelling for them. So they kind of battle with the person that they're becoming and the person that they are and their old beliefs start to take over. Um, yeah. You know, they tend to fall into victimhood. 
They feel like they're not ready yet. You know, they're curious, but they feel stuck because of fear. And I have to say before I share my own personal stories about this is that uh, I've I've seen in my own coaching work with people that people will refuse that call again and again mm. and again and again, like yeah. literally multiple yes. times over their lifetimes. So keep in mind that sometimes people don't even go through these steps. They feel that call to the adventure, but then since the way that they were is so... Um, comfortable for them, they refuse the call again and again and again. And I've actually seen people do this for decades. And the problem with doing that is that the more that you refuse the call, the more um, the psychic atmosphere of your own personal resistance accumulates over time. So in the beginning, you might have a little bit of a resistance refusing the call, but then, yes. you know, when you're 40, 50, 60, mm -hmm. the more that you refuse the call, it's filled with the past shadow of all the other times you refuse the call and it starts accumulating yeah. to the point where you may not even notice the call. So I just want to point that out, that the resistance and the refusal of the call can accumulate and almost get more dense and heavier over time. Yeah, this is very important to know because I've seen it so many times as well. Um, Tyson is saying uh, many are called, few choose to answer the call. And like Laura said, we've seen it all across the board, even our work, even our group coaching program. There's the ego, wounded ego, the inner child makes all kinds of excuses, justifications, not to do it. Not even I'm not even talking about just signing up to a program, but in general, for example, engaging in the great work yeah. or whatever you do in your life. You know, um, there's always somehow within uh, you that will you know, discourage you. Like there's always saying as much as you have the potential to do it, there will be also exacting opposing force discouraging you from it. Yeah. And the more you are hardened in your false personality, the more your mind will find reasons and justification, excuses, even unconscious self-sabotage. You will like some accident happens or something which you will then interpret as a sign of like, oh, it's not meant to be the universe of God tells me, you know, it's not meant to be all these bad synchronicities when it's a fact no it means actually these are deeper lessons to push through and activate the will yeah yeah so can i share my refusal of the call Go ahead. oh you did you had a refusal oh, of the yes. call. <laughs> so around this point when i was working at the castle i met this guy who was basically kind of the archetype of like the life that i was moving back towards you know um, because keep in mind, I also was very interested in spirituality. I was surrounded by it growing up. I was really into Alan Watts and other spiritual teachers when I was a teenager. So I was re-returning to my interest in spirituality when I got this basically call to adventure. But then I decided, um, this is like pretty embarrassing, but I basically decided to uh, get together with this guy who lived in China, who was like an engineer, who was like a carbon copy of my stepfather, basically, like really left brained, not really into spirituality at all, just for security. Just I would, I would lived a very mediocre life if I would have been ended up with him. So I basically totally refused it, tried to go back to my old patterns of like love addiction, essentially, like, you know, using relationships to give me a sense of meaning that crashed and burned. And then I ended up back in the West Coast of Vancouver, fascinatingly enough. So I refused the call. But then you got to get second chance. And basically. almost quite dramatically <laughs> got pushed exactly to the place that I needed to be for the rest of my mm -hmm. journey. So that was really okay. So that's good to note. So to interrupt, but so the views of the call can be happened, but then there's still another opportunity that may present itself. Well, like happened to you, yeah. Right? Like if I mean, I I refuse the call with my conscious personality, 
But then something, whether it was subconscious, whether it was cosmic or universal forces was like, no, we're not going to let you do that. And threw me back into like where I used to live in Vancouver, which is actually a huge, uh, you know, a huge point of my own journey is being on the West Coast. So I basically refused it. And whether it was through my own subconscious forces or cosmic forces, I got thrown back to where I needed to be. So... That was very interesting. So, uh, if you refuse to call it, the 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 journey ends right there, and you can turn off the podcast. No, just kidding. So, moving on. So, you answered the call to adventure, and like we mentioned, then the fourth step is like you know this goes into the saying like Goethe says: once you make a commitment, once you answer the call, the universe, the divine forces uh, help will conspire. Doors open that where there haven't been no doors before, but it needs a sincere one hundred percent commitment. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right to answer mm-hmm. the call to adventure, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then this the fourth step: the meeting with the mentor or supernatural help, as he called it. Yeah. So up, upon answering the call with uh, his whole being, full commitment, hundred percent commitment um, of the hero, assisting forces will appear synchronistically in the form of a mentor, teacher, or books to initiate the hero on his or her unique path giving him advice, wisdom, and tools to work with. The help can also come from unseen supernatural positive forces who guide him via inspiration and insight. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. that's, you mentioned, you know, you uh, found your mentors and help of, you know, how people guided you. And people be- can become mentors and guides and teachers without them, not even officially labeling that, but they have become like instruments of the divine force. And I've seen this totally in my life. And right. also keep in mind the mentor can come in many shapes and forms. It doesn't have to be a physical person. It could yes. be books that you read. It exactly. could be anything that basically guides you. That on initiates the, you. On so the journey speak. of yeah. self-discovery. And they push you towards the path of transformation. Exactly. There are various books for me. I mentioned before uh, Krishnamurti, The Freedom from the Known, when I first read that. You know, actually one of the initiations was early 90s. I don't know if people remember the Celestine Prophecy. That was Kind of, inside, kind of also helped me too, and, and many other books, you know, Alan Watts, but also in my own journey, like you know, I met teachers and guides that helped me like along the way, and really, even when I started playing drums, I want to just share this little story. People don't know one uh, who the somebody who became one of my best friends in in the mid '90s and was my personal drum teacher is Ray Luzier, and who is now the drummer for Corn for many many years now already. So he's he definitely has a, a amazing career right now but you know it also just happens once you really commit to it there's the guidance there's the help in various forms but what is recommended is also this deeper faith in the process yeah and so you know with myself my meeting with the mentor was so i basically moved back to vancouver which is kind of basically where I needed to be. Um, and then this is very crazy, but uh, this famous director was my Facebook friend and was filming a movie in Prague or right outside Prague at the time at a castle again. Very strange. Interesting. Very strange, like symbolism with the castle. And so I basically was like, hey, I would love to just volunteer and because it was like an independent film and work for you. And he just basically was like, sure, you can do wardrobe. So I basically got a job um, and I flew to Prague. And then interestingly, 
who was working on the set with me as a stunt woman was a shaman who hosted ayahuasca ceremonies. So that's how it, exactly. Yeah, and yes. she and she was also very. I mean, the, I had one of my. I eventually ended up doing a ceremony where, but she basically kind of embodied that archetype. She was very powerful, like piercing eyes, very strong, very feminine. Um, no bullshit kind of woman. And yeah, so it was very interesting. Beyond all of that as well, by the way, is while I was in Vancouver, I kept going to this bookstore that I'm sure people who live in Vancouver know of called Banyan Books. It's this like spiritual bookstore, essentially. And I was just constantly going to talks and events there and reading books. And that was actually one of the first times I came across one of the Pluto books in my adult life. And so I was like just constantly like just soaking up any event that I could take on. So I was really on this journey of self-discovery at that point. Yeah. So I also want to add to that, uh, give another example how these steps can intersect. And even another call happened within that time as I was studying drums, playing in bands in LA. And I started to hang out with some other European friends who started these desert parties. And all of a sudden, in one of these desert parties, I met somebody uh, who like... <laughs> First of all, I got introduced to to mushrooms as well, which had helped me a lot in my own inner healing process, you know, and all of that was my initiation to shamanism as well in that sense. But I met this guy, this this guy Russ. I remember his name. Uh, also, that was mid late, uh, yeah, ninety seven or so at one of these desert parties, and he introduced me. He became also my roommate and mentor later on. He introduced me to body work and yoga. I never heard of yoga back then in the in the mid nineties. It was very exotic, especially coming from Germany. So he became my teacher. He taught me bodywork and he initiated me in that sense. I found another talent of healing arts and, and bodywork and that initiated another call and I started learning, uh, getting into bodywork and the healing arts and all of that. So it's interesting, like once you start the process also of calling towards adventure, you never know what leads you to, right? It also kind of tell God your plans and will laugh at you. But there's a guidance when you really uh, look back at it, you can see the assistance. And there will be also trials and tribulations and lessons where we get into it as well. But again, once you truly, honestly, sincerely answer the call and step into the unknown, there's the guidance and the help. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, then the next part is really the official, the fifth step, crossing the threshold. And that is the point when the hero actually crosses into the field of adventure, leaving the known limits of his or her world and venturing into an unknown and dangerous realm where the rules and limits are not limits are not known. We see this all across any movies. Mm. Yeah, and for me, it was definitely coming from Germany to the US and everything was, you know, it's always getting into crossing the unknown. It can also be crossing the threshold of the unknown with your inner work, by the way, the great work that's also, you know, uh, symbolized as well. Yeah, it's basically when you decide to leave the past behind and embark on this journey. Mm -hmm. So you've made the choice, you've made the commitment, you're ready to go forward. Um, and you still have to undo all of the old programming, you know, that you've had before. So there's going to be a series of tests after that. But you just realize that there is this new life emerging and you start to detach from the old you, essentially. So you start to like basically gain momentum at this point. And for me, this point actually came. So when I went back to Vancouver, I think I got her email or something of this woman who did the ceremonies and I decided to do one. Um, and that was a major turning point because basically from 2013 to like 14, yeah, like for that year or so, um, I was basically just doing yoga, meditation, 
and um, reading self-development books and going to talk and talks and stuff. So I wasn't really going to the core of things. So when I went down to that ceremony, which was actually in LA, by the way, and yeah, my best ayahuasca ceremony was literally in like downtown LA in some big gym somewhere. It wasn't in Peru. So I just want to point that out because a lot of people say, oh, you got to go down to Peru and get a shaman there. But my personal experience is it really matters on the shaman who's holding the space. And she was the right person for me. Anyway, so I went down to the ceremony. Um in a gym in LA, she was hosting the space with another woman. And in the ceremony, um, basically one of the first things I showed was the depth of the sexual trauma that I was carrying. And it was like, I was basically sobbing for what felt like hours. And then what happened is um, basically this grandmother energy came in that basically came in the form of my own personal grandmother who I had a very strong connection to. And then it morphed into this archetypal grandmother that was just holding my grief with like compassion, basically. And that was a big turning point for me because number one, I actually didn't, I was just basically trying to suppress, well, I wasn't consciously doing it, but I was suppressing the trauma that I had been through. And that was the first moment that I was like, holy crap, like, look at what you've gone through and look at how much you're hurting because of it. So that was a really big threshold for me to cross because, and I can, I can kind of see it in some people we work with, like, you know, when you're engaging in the path of inner work of self-work, sometimes you kind of just do it a little bit superficially. You don't want to start going into the core, the seed of things, you know, but basically what ayahuasca did is it gave me a big enough ego death that I was really going to the core of the reason why I was suffering at that time. Yeah, it's interesting when as a contemplate, as you just shared that, it had a similar experience. You know, I also got introduced early on, there was a different time, but in the 90s, psychedelics, more of mushrooms and also DMT, but uh, right away noticed not using it for recreational or parties, but for deep inner work. You know, for me, there was also crossing the thresholds or locking myself in, in our room, in the rehearsal room and taking seven grams of shrooms. I don't know. Uh, I learned it the hard way too, you know, uh, for better or worse. But there was a big initiation of crossing the threshold of really also then questioning the world and really going deep into research into all kinds of fringe conspiracy stuff. But the red really kind of re, um, you know, revolutionized my whole worldview. And that goes into the next step, what you also just shared and experienced. It's called uh, the belly of the whale. So the belly of the whale represents the final separation from the hero's known world and self swallowed into the unknown. That's really what it means. And by entering this stage, the person shows willingness to undergo a metamorphosis. So the belly of the whale is basically, when just context, is a reference to Jonah entering the whale in the biblical story. In literature, all kinds of literal literature contains a number of symbolic references, zones of danger, such as the dragon's lair or the lion's den, and that there might, may be a number of transitions into zones within the story, each crossing some threshold and usually with a sense of no going back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right. So mm-hmm. that's kind of what you described. Well, yeah. And then interestingly, when I returned back from this uh, ceremony in LA, I went back to Vancouver. What happened is, um, again, I got this call. I was working at a job in like basically in the middle of the downtown Vancouver, but in the park there. So I was kind of surrounded by nature. And what I was doing is before my job, I would just spend hours in the forest, like literally hours, like hours before and hours after. And and so uh, one day I saw someone on Facebook post that there there is a job opening on this really small island, uh, one of the Vancouver Islands. 
um, you know, basically surrounded by orcas and whales and um, all this natural wildlife. And it was just going to be a summer job. But I just felt that call again. And so I basically moved from this big city and I had been living in big cities most of my life at that point, um, except for when I grew up, I moved to this island, didn't know anyone. And I remember actually this transformation that I continued to go on right after that ceremony when I moved to Vancouver Island. And I did have this moment where I was just basically riding on my bike down the road in this like small town, like very dense forest, super beautiful there. And I was like, wow, if I keep engaging in this work that I'm doing, I will never be able to go back to that normal life. And I had that moment a couple times in my life, but that was the first time that I had it where I was like, okay, either I go this way or I somehow push myself back to sleep, which was getting harder and harder at that point, by the way. So there was really a sense of like, if you keep engaging in this kind of spiritual, psychological work, there's going to be no going back to that normal, mediocre life, that mediocre life that you try to go back to. Yeah. And I think that's also the deeper esoteric meaning of crossing the threshold in the belly of the whale, that once you're at this stage, there's no turning back, the, the point of no return, so to speak. And yeah. I can also um, relate to that in a sense. By the way, just because Lorna and I had all, all the kinds of experiences with medicine, plants, and psychedelics doesn't entail that you have to do this kind of thing. Everybody has their own hero journey that was just part of of our story, just want to make that clear. I don't think it's even necessary, but for us, you know, I was definitely a psychonaut back then. And also, as you were sharing your story and reflecting on crossing the threshold, the belly of the whale, this, you know, this process is also, it put me somewhere to you on a whole different trajectory. So first, remember, the call to adventure was like, first, oh, I want to play drums. I want to have a music career, uh, music career and tour and all of that. And it did all this, stepped into the unknown, came to the US as a, as a German, not even learning the, a new language and had all the help. But then I got initiated, you know, the divine guidance and other mentors and teachers appeared like this yoga bodywork teacher. And all of a sudden I dove deeper into really questioning the world as we know it way beyond just playing drums and questioning myself. So that's how I got also initiated in deeper uh, self-work, right? Spiritual work, spirituality, psychology. First I got into Jungian shadow work already back then as well. So that opened up a whole new world. And, and then with then, I was initiated in deeper inner work and that definitely transformed me. But at the same time, you know, as I was crossing the threshold, being in the belly of the whale, like, uh, you know, going in a metamorphosis, I could not relate to the to the world where, as I knew it anymore at all, there was no turning back. Yeah, for myself also, just to touch on the thing about psychedelics is um, I had so many defense mechanisms and emotional suppression going on that was linked to survival, meaning I couldn't actually rebuild my life if I was aware of the depth of trauma that I was carrying, but it was showing up in disassociation and anxiety as well, but mainly, primarily disassociation. So for myself, the blessing that ayahuasca gave me was it was able to remove my defense mechanisms for a night and show me actually what I was carrying because for someone who's been through trauma for like a while, a period of longer than a few years, it gets a really big hold on you to the point where you think that that disassociated, checked out self is your real self. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the kind of p potential for psychedelics is it lessens the ego defenses to show you what is there. 
However, that being said, I personally think that the intention of your own soul, of your own heart, is what's guiding the journey more than anything, and that connection to God, essentially. So if you go in with the intention, I really want to heal whatever it is that's going on in me, you're going to have a specific journey. If you go in, oh, I'm just curious. Oh, people are doing ayahuasca these days. Let's see what yeah, I yeah, have. Yeah. Then it can go many different directions. So you really want to think about, and, and, and this goes for all healing work, by the way, not even just psychedelics, but the seed and intention is really what will provide the fruits of the experience. And, and so you have to really go in. Like I was really at this point where I was suffering so much. I didn't like the life that I was living. I didn't like the way that I was being. I didn't know what the hell was wrong with me because I didn't realize that I was carrying the amount of trauma I was, but I knew that I wanted to heal in whatever way that looked like. And so and also, I really want to point that out yeah. because you know people have all sorts of different opinions about psychedelics. And I also see the dangers in them, definitely, for sure. But going in just curious, oh, I want yeah. to see what happens, or this is what everyone's doing these days, is spiritual materialism. And that can actually, that attitude can set up the trap. Yeah, it can exactly. set up all sorts of issues. So, yeah. whatever path of healing you go down, think about your true intention. And if you deeply in your heart, even if you don't know what it looks like, have the intention that you want to heal, that you want to be shown anything that's in the way of you connecting with your own heart and soul, I have found that that can go well. And if you go in just wanting to experiment or curious or, um, you know, with a hap, like basically um, an insincere desire, you know, like, oh, I want to heal everything except for this. I don't want to go there. <laughs> then just watch out. <laughs> no, but I got my ass kicked for some of my experiences back then for that very reason. So I learned, learned the hard way. But also in, in speaking about your experience, you also then followed up with a sincere, deep inner Uh, spiritual work, trauma work, shadow work, and all of that. So oh, it's, and, it's not about just like a magic pill as well. And let me also say one more thing. I was doing daily yoga and meditation every single day since 2013. So yeah. that's a big thing because I, the worst people I saw in these ceremonies actually had no background in any sort of like mind-body work or therapeutic yeah. work. Yeah. Okay. So this concludes the first part, which was the departure. It ends, again, the ordinary world to the call of adventure, the, the potential refusal of the call at the dead end, then the meeting, if you enter the call, the meeting with the mentor and the help, supernatural help, essentially fully crossing the threshold, going through a metamorphosis in the belly, so-called proverbial belly of the whale. And now the second phase is initiation. And it starts with the road, road of trials. So here we go, trials and lessons deep initiations. And the role of trials is a series of tests that the hero must undergo to begin the transformation. Often the person fails one or more of these tests, which is part of the learning and initiation process. He or she will be confronted with enemies and tricksters who ultimately teach him or her lessons. So we definitely have some stories about that. Yeah, basically at this point you deal with, um, you know, people who surround you. So some will be allies, some will be a a enemies. And you have to, at this stage, let go of people who are not aligned with the person that you're becoming. So mm. they're usually not supportive, they don't understand, or they have a just straight up bad influence on you, you know. And then somewhere in this journey, you discover who your real friends are. And this is like, I mean, I went through this myself so basically after i came 
I moved to the island. I was loving it. I was I was like seeing orcas and humpback whales and like bald eagles like almost every single day and just like loving my life, like really returning back to my true self for the first time. And then um, I was subletting my apartment in Vancouver at the time. And while I was there, like having the time of my life, I found out that everyone who had been renting the place with me just moved out and didn't pay their rent and left it in a total chaos while I was gone. So that was the first thing. And then like it just ended up so messily. Like basically they represented people who were not supportive of the person that I was becoming. They were more aligned with the old self, you know. So that was a disaster. And then I tried to move to Vancouver Island. I was renting, I was going to rent a cabin, which was not even heated, by the way, um, that this woman I was working with lived um, lived in. Her dad died in it. It's just a long, crazy story. So I ended up moving in this, to this in, uninsulated cabin on one of the Vancouver Islands for a few months. And I just basically just froze to death. And I realized, oh, I can't do this anymore. This is really bad. And then I ended up moving to Victoria, where I moved in with this woman who did acupuncture and was totally aligned with like actually what I was doing and was so supportive and so great. So there was a big turning point of like almost like being tested with these kind of enemies and people who were just almost trying to, you know, basically I was they, they weren't aligned with my path in any way. You know, I was making all these conscious decisions or seemingly yeah. conscious and was running into all these roadblocks and frustrations and challenges, you know, but then I ended up back in Victoria um, to get into a warm house for the winter. And then I ended up moving with this person who basically was a healer herself. So that was very fascinating. Yeah. So I always feel the road of trust keeps going. Again, like I mentioned, these are not just uh, going linear and one starts, the other stops right away. It ties into the ultimate uh, truth that all these are lessons, right? In a sense. And there's always lessons, tests, initiations, enemies, hidden enemies, and all of that. I can definitely relate to that. Definitely went through road of trials. Once I started to become outspoken, started to get writing back in my space a long time ago, early 2000s, you know, and mm. started writing about the topics I'm writing now, started my blog and then lost my friends, my own or friends from those parties, desert parties, or even my own mentor, like me, started making fun of me, getting into these topics, gossip, you know, I mm. felt attacked mm -hmm. by these people. I lost my friends mm. uh, who I thought who were my friends. Ties a bit into the Agent Smith syndrome from the Matrix. All of a sudden, other people becomes portals for other forces trying to vector you off the path. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But a big learning lesson, which I'm still, you know, looking, reflecting back, was just also stepping into my own power, you know, because I always had issues with uh, insecurity, lack of self-confidence, my own childhood wounding all came up, all of that, codependency. So all these provided important lessons that I back then didn't even fully understand. But now looking back, uh, understand now what it was all about, how to, how to integrate them and see these uh, lessons in the bigger picture, because the trap is always falling into victim blame. Yeah. And and see, the lesson for me was actually one of discernment. Like mm, I was just yeah. blindly kind of going along, just being friends with whoever seemed interesting, not seeing where they were going, if we had similar values, if they, you know, I was really starting to get into spirituality and also psychology and healing. And a lot of the people who I had to let go of were not interested in that at all. They were yeah. just kind of partying and like living like lives that were just kind of primarily unconscious, you know? So I was really at this big turning point and becoming a different person. 
And I was having to let go of people who are almost like remnants of the old self that I was yeah. leaving behind. I think that's that's big for a lot of people. Like again, goes back to the crossing the threshold, the road of trials. That's a critical phase, the init true initiation, deep initiation, which is about letting go of the past, your old life, letting go of old association, friends, or even family. And I think a lot of people have experienced this over the past three years. So that's yeah. what they're struggling with. Because as you said at the beginning, it ties into the the Jungian process of individuation. Yeah, I went through right? a mini version of this over the past few years. Exactly. Too. So again, cycles over cycles. Yeah. So the next step in the initiation phase is number two, meeting with the goddess. So what that means is that after surviving the road of trials, <laughs> ongoing trials, the hero may experience a great love that has the power and significance of the all-powerful, all-encompassing, unconditional love. It doesn't necessarily manifest in finding one a partner in a form of romantic love, but relates more to connecting with and freeing the feminine female essence of being within. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. quote-unquote saving the princess from the castle underworld right freeing the level of the being the alchemical marriage of the inner male and female so this doesn't necessarily have to be a person but no. what is it it's just more you start to notice your essence more your essence arising. more you know like could could relate to anima animas your own spirit uh, oh, creative start gift. To come. oh yeah 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 okay right? yeah, yeah yeah because i i, I had a certain point so basically now i'm living in victoria i'm moving i moved in with this woman who's doing her own healing work really great um connection with her you know um and i was doing tons of yoga like hours a day kundalini yoga left and right um, but I started to connect with my essence again. I started yeah. to really feel connected to my heart and my own true being at this point, you know? So something was changing within me in a very profound way where I was just accessing states of consciousness that were not accessible to me before, essentially. So I think that's kind of the meeting with the goddess, right? Exactly. And also find a deeper experience, a deeper unconditional love, I think is your connection to essence, to God, you know? Yeah, yeah. The feminine principles, principle of creativity as well, because I remember I also told, you know, for me it was also another person, but when I stepped into my power, followed becoming a body worker on my side to write, I, I um, experienced or realized gifts I didn't even know I had. I became a writer. Mm, people love my mm -hmm. writings. I became a very good body worker with a gift and helped a lot of people and they were mirroring this back to me. Yeah. Right? So there's something happening. I became very clear about my my purpose. Yeah. That's what I want to like. My, um, there's a certain alignment. Right? And it, it, uh, it's about the alchemical marriage of the inner male and female being and doing basically. Mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what it relates to. So for some people it can also manifest you know. I think it also has manifest maybe later for when we met together in a sense, right? Yeah. But it's meaning of the goddess is feminine, so it goes for both sexes. It is more an internal process to connect to that within yourself. Yeah. And then the third, uh, then, but after the meeting of the goddess, also or around the same time, there's a temptation. So that's also a very critical stage. Um, you know, it's almost taking, reverting to the blue pill, cipher in the matrix, right? Mm. Uh, so in this step, the hero faces those temptations, often a physical or ple of, of a pleasurable or physical nature mm. that may lead him or her to abandon or stray from his or her quest, which does not necessarily have to be represented by a woman, but the, the feminine temptation in this context is the dark side of the feminine is a metaphor for the physical or material temptations of life. Oh, God, yeah, I have so many experiences <laughs> of this. So, like, um, basically, one part of the story that I didn't mention is 
this whole time I'm starting to post my own spiritual insights on Instagram. I was doing, I think, full moon reports even by then. I was starting to put myself out there in this kind of new emerging self, right? Um, and then what happened is I was offered a random day, a publishing deal, uh, <laughs> big temptation um, <clears throat> for to write a book because um, I really still wanted to be a writer at that time. And also, um, I met someone during a trip um, to do more ayahuasca ceremonies who was really obsessed with like the followers I had and really wanted me to teach her how to do it. And was really, I was so naive and so kind of blissed out that I wasn't able to like be like, oh, wait a second, like, you know, maybe she has an ulterior motive here. But I saw those temptations come with the publishing deal and then people almost being drawn to me because of their own self-serving interest rather than wanting to be like a true friendship, you know? Yeah. And neither of those situations yeah. ended up very well, by the way. But um, I took the temptation. I, I, I eventually got out of that publishing deal, um, which by the way, um, not to mention the story that was going to be, um, you know, part of this anthology, part of this publishing company, I'm going to get that published again this year by another woman who I really like, who's taken over the project. So I've still resurrected that uh, just as a side note. So watch, watch for that in a few months. But basically, temptation, the publishing deal, almost like people who seemed like allies who were not mm -hmm. allies, who were just like starting to, you know, had their own self-interest kind of coming along. And unfortunately, at that point, I hadn't done like I was really veering towards the spiritual work and not the psychological work which would help me see these things in people. So I was had my kind of rose-colored glasses on and was not seeing what was going on until it basically blew up in my face. Um, so that was definitely the temptation, dark side of the feminine. Yeah. And that was coming from my own wound too, I want to point out. Yeah. So I want to point out that the temptation almost plays on your own wounds and blind spots. Yes. Like, so, you know, I had, I still had deep down inside this desire, oh, I'm going to be a published author, a best-selling author, New York Times or whatever, <laughs> you know, like I had all of these um, kind of grandiose like ideas on what I wanted to do, which was based on my own wounding and thinking, oh, if I become a published author, finally, I'm, I'm going to be validated or whatever, because that it was always my dream, you know, when I was a kid. Um, so it was, it was playing on the leftover remnants of my old wounds from the person that I, the shell that I was kind of leaving behind and also my lack of discernment as well, which is yeah. a big theme in, in my relationships as well. So, yeah. Yeah. So that's a critical stage as well, because even for people, anybody who's called, uh, answered the call towards adventure, going through all the, the crossing the threshold, the road of trials, meaning the goddess, but then there's still another temptation. And that's when a lot of people uh, archetypally sell the soul to the devil, the Faustian pact with the devil. And what is usually temptations? It's the three forces of money, sex, and power, fame. Yeah. Right? All of that. Yeah. So that's that's how people get easily tempted or go back to the consensus state or sell out, you know. And like Laura said, it's the temptation. Uh, targets directly your weakness, your issues, you know, your traumas, your insecurities, all of that, your blind spots. So hence, if you are able to uh, see the temptations as a lesson, you can use uh, utilize these quote-unquote temptations as lessons, as teachers, yeah. so to speak. But I had my own temptations. I had also classic temptations of women with relationships, getting very infatuated because of my insecurity, like just romantic love and just 
losing myself in the relationship and then losing my path. Losing my, not not obviously I didn't lose my path, but losing myself in it almost losing my path and then even uh, getting into very toxic relationships with very narcissistic women, but it matched my own <laughs> narcissistic wounding and my upbringing and all of that. So it was very entangled and almost lost myself in it, almost uh, stopped doing the work I'm doing. So there was that temptation, uh, definitely classic in the form of a, of a, of a female. Um, and there has been some also shady uh, characters, but I've been also growing up, I had, you know, I've never been big on materialism like driving towards just making money 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 so that could was never hook on me um but i saw some uh, sketchy individuals you know which similar to you i was also very naive in the sense I'd yeah taking people on face value especially in la yeah uh and not seeing they had an ulterior motive and especially now as i got more quote-unquote popular of my writings my work and all of that I had to learn the hard way of becoming more discerning who I surround myself with and people wanted to take advantage of me and even closer friends. And so that there were a lot of, you know, lessons within that for sure. Yeah. Um, okay. So now, now we are at the end of the first hour. We still have quite a few steps to go through. So again, for anybody, you know, see these steps to reflect on your own life and, how this plays out, it's really um, you know, important to become aware of these archetypal steps, especially in this time and age, right? Because we all go through our own hero's journeys right now, for sure, even collectively, I would say. Now, yeah, so basically in part two, we're going to yeah. go into the dark night of the soul, the rebirth, the reward, another refusal, the return, rescue yeah. from without, crossing of the return threshold, and then the master of two worlds and the freedom to live. And these so from dark to light. Basically. Yeah. And the last one is sometimes called also resurrection um, as well. So yeah, we're going to cover the rest of the journey in the second hour. So if you're not already a member, you can become a member by going to veilofreality.com and clicking on membership. And we have the second hour to, I think, over 100 plus podcasts, yes. and you can access the second hour. And yeah, we'll see you on the other side.